Welcome to Best Served, a podcast recognizing unsung hospitality heroes. Join Chef Jensen Cummings as he chops it up with industry leaders about the humans who've impacted their lives and careers. From childhood guides, to ass-kicking mentors, to the team members in the trenches that make it all happen. Help us celebrate these rock stars by sharing our show and nominating your own unsung hospitality heroes. Connect with us on social media at Best Served Podcast. Now here is your host. What's up, podcast? It's Corey from Best Served. This podcast is a clubhouse recording titled Indigenous Foodways and the American Food Culture. To celebrate Native American Heritage Month, join JBF and Best Served to discuss what American food is, how it's impacted our foodways, and how indigenous agri-food systems can solve many global issues. Hope you enjoy. It is my pleasure. Um, I'm Chef Mimi Lan, and this is our fourth and final Clubhouse Fall collaboration with James Beard Foundation in an effort to uplift and bring awareness to important topics such as this one about indigenous foodways and the impact it has on American food culture. Before I go on, I just want to say it's been a privilege to be working with James Beard Foundation and be a part of these amazing rooms to listen to such inspiring voices in the industry. It's also been a pleasure to work with you, Jensen, and your team. I couldn't have asked for a better team to work with. Um, in this project. So November is uh, Native American Heritage Month. So this room, uh, this room's topic is is very much in line with um, what we want to honor. Remember that this room is being recorded so you can listen to the full session and share it with others by visiting Best Served Podcast Instagram um, this Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. The link will also be posted on um, you know, uh, James Beer Foundation, uh, as well as Best Served uh, in their bio, or you can listen to it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Anchor app. We want to thank James Beer Foundation for hosting this room under Good Food for Good, an official club for James Beer Foundation, which is a national nonprofit organization that promotes good food for good. If you haven't followed the club yet, please do so by hitting the greenhouse above. Uh, And please feel free to invite those in your network to join in the discussion by tapping on the plus button at the bottom. It's going to be a stimulating and educational conversation. The room will last about an hour and 15 minutes, uh, reminding you that the hand raising feature is turned off now. So just sit back and enjoy the conversation. I'm Chef Mimi Lan, and now I yield the mic back to Jensen. Mimi, what a true honor it is every time we get to work with you on uh, on Clubhouse. Uh, for anybody who doesn't follow Mimi, you're doing Clubhouse wrong and need to make sure to follow Mimi, somebody who's been an absolute leader uh, in our group to be able to bring these stories to life and uh, has very much helped us learn how to navigate Clubhouse as uh, Best Served is so committed to amplifying the worth and work of those who feed their community and are honored to have this this new emerging platform as a space for us to be able to uh, bring new voices to light, bring attention to important topics and important stories uh, that sometimes get skipped over in the uh, minutia 
of the world of food, beverage, hospitality. So really appreciate all the work that you've done. And uh, yeah, this is, a, this is a really powerful way to end this uh, four-part uh, little mini-series collaboration with the James Beard Foundation. And definitely do check out uh, all of our Clubhouse conversations on our Best Served Podcast anchor page. And you can uh, tune into all of the past recordings if you haven't been able to catch them live here on Clubhouse. If you're listening to the recording, get over to Clubhouse so you can be a part of these conversations live and be able to interact uh, with these uh, with these communities and these individuals that are bringing these stories to life. And, you know, this four-part series starting with inspiring storytellers, uplifting their communities, moving on to unpacking the labor shortage. We talked about sustainability and food packaging and now bringing indigenous voices. So a very uh, diverse and complex uh, amount of topics that we've covered through this series. All right, I like to always start us off with, uh, with a little quote, something that can kind of set the tone for us as we navigate the next hour of, uh, of our evening. And so the uh, Anishinaabe author and activist Winona LaDuc says, food comes from our relatives, whether we have wings or fins or roots. This is how we consider food. Food has a culture. It has a story. It has a history. It has relationships. And for me, I'm excited to hear some of those stories. I'm honored to be able to share space and build relationships with the individuals who are going to be speaking with us and all of you who are here because these stories matter to you as well. And uh, to be able to usher in Native American Heritage Month uh, this month to, uh, to be able to honor those stories and recognize that for myself, I have not understood them well enough. I have not respected them enough spend enough time and effort to be able to really understand the impact that they've had on American food culture. So I'm honored to be able to do so. Give you a little bit of a, of a run of show. Mimi's going to introduce our speaker so you'll know who you're going to be hearing from. Uh, we're going to discuss kind of in, in three parts, three acts, really. We're going to think past, present, and future. So we're going to talk a little bit about the past, kind of the, the personal history, and, and so often so many of the indigenous voices that I get to interact with, especially Andrea Murdoch, who's very much been my mentor in this space. Uh, it takes a history lesson to start the conversation, to even be able to speak about the individual uh, stories that we have to hear that each of these individuals is living their human experience takes a history lesson to understand how we even got to this point. So a little bit of that personal history lesson, and, and I believe we'll also hear some context, just uh, kind of the impact that uh, the food systems have had on indigenous communities uh, throughout time and history. So we'll talk about that pre present, kind of reclaiming that culture in food ways is kind of a, a thing we want to hear. What's the work that each of these individuals is doing today to, to preserve to, to re-embrace their own food heritage and to bring that to the forefront. And then the future, what are we doing to future biz building? Where is indigenous food going? Is it being recognized outside of tribal communities? We're going to dig into the future a little bit. So hopefully everybody is in for that conversation. I know that I am. Mimi, please go ahead and introduce us uh, to the speakers. Yes, yes, sure. Uh, do we need to wait for uh, Chef Blue Adams? Uh, I messaged Blue a couple times. Uh, I say we go, and hopefully uh, Blue can catch up if, uh, if Blue is no able problem. to make it. But uh, you never well, know. The world goes on. I'm not sure if Blue's uh, able to join us tonight. 
All right, it's my honor to introduce our distinguished panelists. Uh, first, we have Heather Richmond. Um, she's a proud tribal member of the Prairie Band Potawatomi. Heather is also executive director of Sustainable Citizen, co-founder of Sustainable Packaging Solution, HKLTD, CEO of Native Pack, um, a packaging company that has developed PFA-free compostable packaging created from hemp and other alternative fiber combo. Currently developing a facility in Oklahoma on Native American ground, Native Pack is creating jobs for indigenous people while taking care of our planet. Welcome, Heather Richmond. Andrea Thank Murdoch. You. You're welcome. Andrea Murdoch is a chef and founder of Four Directions Cuisine LLC with four pillars of practices sourcing indigenously, sourcing locally, education, and community work. Her mission is to showcase the expansive world of indigenous cuisine and culture through food and beverage events, lectures, and demonstrations. Welcome, Chef Andrea. Next, we have Executive Chef uh, Nephi Craig, uh, is an enrolled member of the White Mountain Apache tribe and is half Navajo. Chef Craig is also the founder of the Native American Colonies Association of NACA, an organization and network that's dedicated to the research, refinement, and development of Native American cuisine. Chef Nafi provides training, workshop, and lecture sessions on Native American cuisine for health to schools, restaurants, universities, treatment centers, behavioral health agencies, and tribal entities from across America and abroad. Chef Craig recently serves as executive chef at the Sunrise Pike Resort Hotel, where he and his White Mountain Apache culinary team achieved many national and international benchmarks. He's also currently the Nutritional Recovery Program Coordinator and executive chef at the Rainbow Treatment Center and Cafe Goshu, located in the White Mountain Apache Tribe in Arizona. Welcome, Chef Nafi Craig. So um, I guess I will let um, the lovely uh, Christine to introduce James Beard Foundation and herself. Yes, thank you so much, Mimi and Jensen, for those awesome introductions um, into this room and for the panelists. Um, thank you so much to all of the panelists for taking the time to um, share your thoughts and your experiences with this audience. Um, it means so much to share this space with you all. Um, so my name is Christine Chung. I am the digital marketing manager here at the James Beard Foundation. Um, the foundation overall is committed to celebrating and honoring chefs and industry leaders and workers that make America's food culture more di delicious and more diverse um, for everybody. And as part of this commitment, um, we feel a responsibility to recognize and support all members of our industry and beyond. Um, especially those whose contributions have been historically suppressed, um, which 
includes the indigenous American communities. And I think it's, it's really impossible to ignore the impact um, and the hands that created the food cultures, or today's food culture in America without acknowledging the immeasurable contributions that the indigenous American communities have um, made to the modern American foodscape. Um, so I think also um, a lot of my own responsibilities at the foundation is to really highlight um, different stories from um, the industry and um, especially those, again, that have been um, historically silenced. And I think um, going off of this or, or the foundation's commitment, I think um, I personally was really thrilled um, that in collaboration with the best served crew um, that we were going to create this space in this room to have this important discussion and acknowledge, truly acknowledge um, all of the incredible and important and significant um, work and um, impact that Indigenous American communities have made into today's culture. Um, so I'm really excited to get started and um, I will leave it back over to Jensen. All right. Like I mentioned, we're going to look at this in three acts. We're going to think a little bit of the past. We're going to think what's happening presently. And we're going to move into the future uh, with Heather, Andrea, and Nephi really leading us uh, in this conversation. So, yeah, I wanted to kind of start with kind of personal. For you personally, what's been the trajectory for each of you? I'll come around uh, the table. And, uh, and then maybe some context with the lens that you've had to look through understanding some of the uh, the oppression suppression of food systems, the the use of food systems to to subjugate some of these communities, just kind of what we've had to grapple with, set the tone for us to understand how we've gotten to this point, so we can understand how we can take uh, these stories, go from here, and where we go in the future. Uh, any opportunities for allyship? That's that's what we really want to understand. So. Uh, Andrea, I want to start with you since you've you've been my guru in this and taught me so much over the last year, especially. I wanted to uh, to understand from you. Take a couple minutes and uh, start us uh, in the past, and we'll bring Nephi and, and Heather into that past conversation as well. Oh gosh, uh, thank you, Jensen. Um, yeah, the, uh, the the histories are uh, a bit different between uh, South American indigenous. Um, histories and, and North American indigenous histories, um, and of course, if, uh, if we're watching and, and reading, we can we can see all the all the uh, excavation that's that's happening from the from the boarding schools in Canada, and um, that uh, you'll you'll see a a piece on it in uh, in the U.S. from time to time as well, and I really think we're going to start seeing that a lot more. The um, the Denver Art Museum, I I was recently there, and they have a fantastic, fantastic um, uh, gallery displaying Indigenous arts, um, both contemporary um, as well as uh, 
uh, a little bit more on the on the artifact side, but but all of it is is incredible art and the the history that they have intelligently and um, more accurately than previous uh, showcases um, really does educate the public and I find that that is a really a very effective way of educating the the general population even other indigenous people because you're you're standing there and you're looking at uh, physical pieces of indigenous culture reading about the history as well and um, it's it's really making an impact here here in Denver to see the the stories told in that artistic way the history is told in that artistic way um, and as food stewards and chefs, we, we do the same thing. Um, I, uh, I, I really enjoy seeing uh, Nephi and, and Blue's work um, showcasing, um, you know, ancestral foods, the, the squashes that are used. I love seeing the original languages used when uh, uh, doing menu descriptions, when, when we're talking about the dishes that we're making when we're talking about um, you know the crops that we're growing and it it really does lend well to uh, this educational process of the 500 plus years of um, you know uh, genocide and uh, forced removal and, and just all, all of these things that you know, generations later, as, as those of us in, who are indigenous people living and breathing uh, today are, um, you know, trying to educate, trying to heal, just trying to, there are just so many, so many layers to um, the, the history that we all carry as indigenous people. Um, so that's a, that's a pleasure for me to, to do that work. And I always, you know, really enjoy our conversations, Jensen, when, when we're, uh, you know, just meeting up and, and speaking casually, even though it doesn't feel so casual with, uh, with heavy subject matters like that sometimes, and certainly um, uh, love and appreciate following Fine and Blue's work. Yeah, thanks for that. Uh, let's, I want to, I, I want to dig a little bit deeper and Andrea, I think we'll we'll come back to you on this front because I know you got some some ideas. I want to bring Heather and, and Effie into the conversation. Uh, for for you, Heather, uh, I'm interested when you when you think back. You know, uh, one of the things you mentioned was just you reflecting on the legacy of of what it took for some of your people to get to this point, and specifically mentioning uh, your grandmother, who how old 100 111 years old I'm, I'm interested when you think of the context of time and what it's taken for your people to to get to today uh, what do we need to be thinking about um i think like really taking it back right to the indigenous roots i think that the agriculture and farming has um really gotten away from the traditional practices um that that is just healthier for the soil and and for the the food that we eat that like our children are consuming, right? And 
Um, I think it's, so it's actually my great, great aunt and she's 111 years old. She's the oldest living member of our tribe. And she's also the oldest living female Native American veteran, maybe the oldest female veteran alive, but um, she's a superstar. And, and you know, I've, I've had so many intimate conversations with her just about how much things have changed and um, her perspective on how things have changed. And I would say just gathering from my conversations with her and, and growing up and going to um, our lands. I mean, because we were originally in um, Chicago. I mean, we had five million acres um, surrounding all of the Great Lakes. And now we're down in Kansas. And, you know, we shifted our cultural way of um, growing food, obviously, in, in a new area. And um, it it is the most disheartening for me to see that we as a tribal community, and I will just say, speaking from, you know, my own tribe and several tribes that I work with, is that um, so much food is not grown on our land anymore within our people. And um, I would really, really like to see that, you know, come back. I think that it's just so important that we carry those traditions on and maintain that. And I know that my great aunt feels that same way. And it would just be, I mean, it's great now to see so many leaders. I mean, like, oh my gosh, I'm looking at this stage and um, it's, you know, fantastic people that are representing our communities. And so I think that we are on the trajectory to do it. And um, I just can't wait to see, you know, more indigenous um, tribes being able to support our own communities um, inside as well as um, outside. So I hope that answered your question, Chef, but I'll, I'll be quiet so we can listen to the next person. Thank you. Yeah, that's great. It, it gives us context because we don't, that's not my reality. I didn't, I didn't live that. So I don't understand it. And I can read that in a textbook, but hearing it from you and how you're trying to carry forward the legacy of your great aunt, like that's something we can rally behind. So I think understanding the, the vision that you have from where you have come from is fundamental to us to be able to do anything about anything. So I think that's, that's important. Nephi, for you, same, same question. Anything looking, looking back into the past, what, uh, what has gotten us to this point? What are the systems that you look at that you say, you know, I need to overcome these? What's the personal trajectory, family? Give us any of that insight on, uh, on the past journeys. Yeah, first off, it's uh, an honor to be here with uh, my colleagues, uh, compatriots of the work. Um, I'll start by saying that uh, Native American cuisine of North and South America is the foundational terroir of all contemporary American cuisine. And as we discuss and talk about this, it'll kind of come together as to why that's true. Um, to take in, to put into context this, uh, this journey that we're on in reclaiming and developing our foodways um, my, my understanding and what I like to share and teach is that uh, people really need to confront a, a lot of serious issues that are uh, very, very much deeply rooted in American colonialism or settler colonialism. Understanding the process of colonization of North and South America is vital to this. And not only just the political, legal, uh, physical aspect of colonization, but also the emotional, psychological, and spiritual realms of violence that were used as tactics. You mentioned how food was weaponized against indigenous peoples. And that is really one of the main um, <clears throat> elements of this, uh, this warfare that has lasted over 600 years and is still ongoing right now. So in, in my personal journey, it's about confronting and um, <clears throat> asking myself some hard questions of like, what about colonialism am I embodying? How have I been complacent? 
what do I want to change? I, I often look at this work if uh, we could if we could actually diagnose colonialism like a disease, what are its symptoms? Is it progressive? Is it fatal? Uh, what are the pathways out? And so like for me and my journey, it's been this long um, trail of, of trial and error, um, a lot of error, a lot of travel. And by listening to the stories and voices that the cultivars have, I've come to believe and understand that they they tell the truth. Um, it's the colonizer's narrative that gets skewed in the direction of the oppressor. Whereas when you follow the scientific and by uh, scientific and anthropological and botanical histories of say quinoa, chocolate, chilies, corn, beans, squash, you get a clear and authentic representation not only of the cultural sophistication of peoples. But the, but the traditional ecological knowledge that spans millennia. I mean, we're talking practices that we're using today in our kitchens that go back, you know, thousands of years before America was even a, a concept or an ideal. And in this journey, we really look at ideals and how they infiltrated our mindsets as communities and Native peoples. I feel like it's, uh, it's a really, um, it's kind of like the matrix, you know what I mean? Like, if you're really listening to this and really want to understand your process of cooking and reclamation and health, um, you really got to choose to uh, understand the truth or you just want to stay comfortable and, you know, uh, exist within the realm of colonialism and colonial violence that provides so many privileges to people that don't suffer under the weight of oppression. So um, understanding truth, and I think for me, the first step, and I hope the first step for listeners can be to hear and sense the human principles of the voices of those that speak on their experience, because it, it really, really is about the pursuit of truth and justice and reclamation, and, and also, you know, just finding happiness, because this is some really deep work, and um, taking that first step into our historical narrative and rewriting it in a micro regional manner is one of the approaches that I've taken. But, um, you know, with all that heavy stuff said, I, I you know, it's still really important to have a, a keen sense of humor because, you know, you get to know us through our food ways and through our memes and through our culture, man, we, we are some hilarious people and we love to laugh and season our work with that. So have an open mind, and as we delve into the past, and be kind to yourself as you travel through these uh, um, ethics that you examine about yourself, because it's vital and it's real. You just blew everybody's mind. That, that was brilliant. Uh, I have to tell you, Corey is here uh, recording and timestamping to capture audiograms. I think all four minutes that you just spoke need to be captured into one. That I was like, you just wrote a commencement speech for... Harvard University or something. Thank you so much for that. Uh, Hillel and Blue have joined us. Mimi, if you want to jump in and actually uh, introduce these uh, two panelists, and uh, and then we can uh, we can get their voices into the conversation too. Yes, it's my pleasure to introduce restaurateur Blue Adams, who has been involved for years in industry conversations regarding how Black and Indigenous voices are often ignored or not offered a seat at the table. The founder of Black Sheep Cafe and Blue Poblano, both based in Provo, Utah, Adams has advocated for raising the profile of indigenous people within the restaurant industry, including her roles 
uh, with the James Beard Foundation and its Chef's Boot Camp for Policy and Change, which is a New York City-based nonprofit organization whose mission is to celebrate, nurture, and honor chefs and other people involved in America's food culture. Welcome, Blue Adams. Uh, next chef is Chef Hillo Echo Hawk, who is a proud member of Pawnee and Athabas, and she's an indigenous chef, caterer, speaker who was born and raised in Alaska around the Athabascan village of Mentasta, home to the matriarchal uh, chief and subsistence rice activist Katie John. As the owner of Birch Basket, Chef Hillo provides catering and private chef services with menus consisting of pre-colonial indigenous ingredients paired with both traditional and modern techniques and the stories of people and the land that the food tells. Chef Hillo has a passion for local ethically sourced and sustainable foods all through an indigenous lens and perspective. She is dedicated to the food sovereignty of native peoples and is committed to empowering all indigenous peoples by increasing knowledge of and access to traditional diets and foods. Lastly, Chef uh, Hillo is also a proud member of the I Collective, which is an autonomous group of indigenous chefs, activists, herbalists, seed, and knowledge keepers. Welcome, Chef Hillo. Truly humbled to be uh, to be in everyone's presence here. Just absolute uh, visionaries in the work that's happening here. So thank you uh, so much to everybody. And, and Effie Hillel, Blue, anybody, if at any point uh, there's mispronunciations of, of names or the names of uh, specific tribes, please uh, please do correct any of us. We want to try and uh, improve upon our, our own nomenclature and understanding uh, and being able to uh, to bring some of that native tongue to uh, our sometimes clumsy American language. So please feel free to do so. You're here to uh, to educate us at, at every level. Uh, so uh, really good to get a kind of a foundation understanding a little bit of the the history, the past that's gotten us to this point and so many other from from legislation uh, to to policy to state by state by community, the impact that's happened uh, through migration, uh, through movement onto and off of reservations has, has really had a huge impact on these communities. Uh, and I'm sure that some of those those uh, history lessons will continue as we talk. But I do want to move kind of into present times, understanding how in the current moment where the, these these individuals here and so many others are kind of reclaiming their own food cultures and food ways and really starting to be able to connect with the land, connect with the products, the techniques, uh, and also potentially being able to evolve them and put their own stamp on it. So, uh, Blue and Hillel, since we haven't heard from you, uh, Blue, you want to start us maybe talking present. What's, uh, what's happening presently? What are you working on that can help us understand uh, what we need to know about so the current state of uh, indigenous cuisine. Hi, and um, thank you. I hope everybody can hear me okay. <clears throat> um, first, I wanna say thank you for inviting me to this conversation. I'm really happy to be here amongst such great individuals who are doing amazing work throughout their communities, particularly wanted to say hello to Nephi 
uh, I've known Nephi for a very long time and I follow, have followed his work and really hope to support him and advocate him and hope he gets the recognition, not just that he needs and deserves, but has the opportunity to speak in any space because of how knowledgeable he is and how important that work is and how that integrates in community healing and the healing process for all of us. So thank you. Um, most of the work I do is focused on that advocacy piece. Uh, we, we know, we understand, and it takes a lot of time to educate about how we got to this place. But the flip side is, how do we get out of that? And I do a lot of advocacy work on shared spaces, ghost kitchens, uh, relocalizing agriculture, supporting small farms from CSAs to uh, produ big production and the whole food ecosystem. I really believe that that ecosystem is what economies are built on and a food ecosystem should be the basis for indigenous economies. That's where we should start. And the reason I say that is having worked with many local first programs, local first Utah, local first Arizona, local first New Mexico, <clears throat> a lot of the research that has been done shows how impactful individuals can be when they're purchasing from small mom and pop restaurants, uh, markets, local farmers markets, and how much of that revenue is retained in the community before it leaves. Oftentimes when I'm speaking, I have to speak on my perspective, which is growing up on the Navajo Nation. <clears throat> I am a member of uh, the Navajo Nation. I grew up there, have lived on and off currently, have dual residency there. And I don't, I see little to no change in the last, I'm not going to date myself, but <laughs> last few decades I've, I've been alive. And I think that's really concerning. Um, we don't even really have food policy happening or conversations around food. And that's concerning because we're, we're, a we're, a, we're one of the largest uh, reservations in the United States. We're about the size of Rhode Island, yet we have 13 grocery stores. So people have to rely on uh, processed and prepackaged food very heavily. That filters down into having problems with health and health being, healthcare being a burden on our economy. So I just want to quickly uh, just express how important it is to provide resources and infrastructure for the people that are doing the farming and are building the markets and are trying to participate in reinvigorating and reintroducing traditional knowledge, especially for our area, because as our water gets scarce through all the natural resource extraction, it's becoming more important uh, to let our youth and let people understand that we do have these not this knowledge we do have the skills we can pass it on we need to support them we need to support that in any way we can because that is going to affect everybody on a global population that knowledge can um, help every help people globally and we're losing a lot of 
I guess I don't want to say credit, but I see these terms rebranded into like companion farming or uh, all these other cool buzzwords. Those are tradition. That's traditional knowledge. Those are traditional um, indigenous food ways. So we should have that seat at that table. We should be in these conversations. And that's something James Beard has always strived towards is providing a space for us to express ourselves and not just listening to us, but actively implementing our suggestions and being open to the conversation. That's what I love about James Beard. And that's, I, I so appreciate being asked to be a part of this conversation and being a part of the um, Black and Indigenous Food Fund because they do listen. When I was invited to the Black and Indigenous Food Fund, the first time we heard the criteria, I had the understanding that it cut out a lot of Indigenous food um, programs or restaurants, food stands, because we don't, many of us don't have a bank account. We don't have access to a bank. There's one bank on Navajo, it's Wells Fargo, and some people have to drive hundreds of miles to even access the bank, yet they're doing business, they're selling food, they're providing for their family, and they're often purchasing from the small farms or butchers in the area. So I wanted them to be able to have access to monies to help help them build and help them build up their community. And James Beard was so open to that. And I can't I, I just can't stop seeing the praises because I'm really humbled and honored to be a part of this and part of this conversation. So thank you. I don't want to take up too much time. I know we got a lot to get through. So thank you. Blue, that's great. And uh, we've been waiting on these stories for hundreds of years. So you can take all the time that you need to express what you need to express. And I think this is a good time to mention one of the things we're big on when we uh, capture these and record these are to be able to share additional resources. So when you go and check this out in a couple days, when it's on the Best Served Podcast, not only can you listen back to these inspiring stories and, and uh, make sure you have a sense of humor like Nephi does, uh, be able to have some resources. So to, to everybody up here on the panel or, or anybody else, please sharing uh, any links to any resources. And I know towards the end, Christine's going to specifically address some of the resources that James Beard Foundation has and is developing. So that's another important tool that we're creating is ongoing education, ongoing access to information so that we can continue to be better allies uh, on on my side of the equation and, and for so many others to just learn how to take the first steps into their own journey uh, if they're a part of indigenous communities that uh, maybe haven't been able to get access to some of these resources, some of these educational tools. So uh, that's a great opportunity there. Uh, Halal, for you, same thing. What's, uh, what's the work that you're doing currently that you feel is kind of setting the tone for what, uh, what we need to understand for present day within indigenous foodways? Go ahead and unmute that microphone. Bottom right corner of your screen. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, and I agree with everything that everyone has said. Um, sorry, I have a very bad signal where I am. Um, so I apologize if I if I'm breaking up and whatnot. 
Sounds good. Um, great. Um, yeah, uh, I have really one of one of the things that I have really had a had a had a focus on and a passion on uh, the past couple of years, especially during COVID. Uh, you know, when when things were just like flying off the shelves, and you know, grocery stores were just empty. Uh, especially during the beginning uh, was working with farmers and having this uh, this understanding of what the food system actually is um, because people don't know. Um, and if you can understand what the food system is, then I really feel like you can change the world. Um, and so I have been trying along with some farmers in, <clears throat> in Washington and Oregon to create um, their indigenous um, uh, farmers uh, to create like a co-op or um, we're still working on the uh, on the language to create um, uh, an organization of indigenous farmers to to really get a a group of of farmers butchers um uh eventually um more more cooks and chefs and restaurateurs and and really build up this this base of people um who who have this understanding of the rush of the not just the restaurant system but of the of of the food system in the United States so that that doesn't happen so that we can take care of our people and so that our people don't go hungry because there are so many people of our so many of our people that are hungry currently on the streets, to me that is just completely unacceptable. Um, so that's one thing that I'm, along with these other farmers, are are working on. Well, I appreciate that, and that's for everybody in every part of the the American food culture. Is connecting better with farmers is going to be key. And sorry, your sound is breaking up a little bit, um, but uh, thank you for that. I think we got uh, you able to hear me. No, I think I think lost Hillel there for a second. Uh, all right. I want to uh, uh, to keep talking about kind of some of the work that's happening presently, uh, because I think that can really help us understand 
again, how we're going to move into yeah. the future. So, uh, Andrea, I wanted to bring you back in, uh, touch on what you're doing currently, the work that uh, you feel is kind of setting the tone and, uh, and maybe something that, uh, can be replicated for others in the indigenous communities. What, uh, what do we need to know about the, the work that you're doing? Uh, a lot like blue. Um, I, I do a fair amount of advocacy work, um, in our indigenous communities. Um, just trying to do events that bring awareness to different issues, such as MMIW, which is um, Missing and Murder Indigenous Women. You know, Core Actions always does a um, a benefit dinner or other benefit event um, for um, benefiting National Indigenous Women's Resource Center. They specifically do uh, training and advocacy work, um, and and even uh, deal, deal with the folks in Washington, deal with legislation, um, concerning the, the issue of MMIW, a lot of food sovereignty work, um, is really at the forefront because it's, you know, you, you always hear the water is life and, you know, we have our plant relations, we have our animal relations. It, it's all full circle, you know, um, it's all full, full circle and um, reconnecting to where my food comes from, if I grow it, if I don't grow it, where do I source it? Um, and the same thing when I'm, I'm out in the communities and talking with folks and they're telling me a little bit about, um, you know, where they eat and why and, you know, what some of their limitations are or what some of their access points are. Uh, to their traditional foods or lack thereof in in a lot of these instances, and so um, uh, I uh, I have been doing a lot more advocacy work in the past uh, few years running my business here in here in Colorado because it's just it's so important to get those conversations going. You know, as chefs, as much as we enjoy. Uh, you know, the creative side of things and menu writing and, and doing these events. We also have a huge responsibility in terms of education and advocacy work and um, reclaiming our culture. And, and like Lou was saying, that does take a lot of time. And like Nephi said, that takes a lot of, a lot of healing. There are all of these very, very layered elements um, to doing the work that that we do as individuals but at the end of the day it's it's work that really does affect us as individuals it affects our communities and you know one of one of the biggest things that i have you know been telling myself um you know if i'm having a, a tough go at it i feel like i'm not making momentum uh i'm wondering why i'm i'm putting all this energy into uh, all, all of these various projects and, you know, just on those days where you feel a little worn down and, and disheartened, I, I remind myself that I, I am physically here. I am still here. I have a voice. I have a platform. Um, I, I'm doing all of this self-education and finding folks to get me um, information and share their stories so that I can turn around and share um, all of this, you know, all of these life ways and all of these um 
you know, important, important teachings. And I remind myself that I have ancestors and the ancestors are watching. And while I'm here in this life, in this space, I am a relation to everyone around me, all, all things around me. And I'm trying to be a good uh, relative uh, while I'm here so that one day when there are relatives here and I am uh, in another world as an ancestor, I can be the, that ancestor looking at the people who are continuing to do work um, that I added to a foundation that was already there because of my ancestors. Um, and so that's the thing that I tell myself. And now that's, you know, a lot of times when I tell folks, when they ask me, well, why, why do you do all of this? What's the point? Or, you know, gosh, that seems like an awful lot of work. So yes, yes, it is. But it's also important to me to be a good, good relative. Andrea, thanks for that. It goes right back to that initial quote from Winona LaDuke that just really struck me. Food comes from our relatives, whether we have wings or fins or roots. And I think being the embodiment of that, uh, it's powerful. It's, it's palpable. And anytime I get the opportunity to speak to uh, Native American voices like in our community, especially when I get to geek out with chefs, it's like it's just it's different. I'm super jealous often because I, I have a, a relationship with food that I, I feel like is sometimes surface level, uh, no matter how deeply I feel it, no matter how much I learn about it and travel and experience the people uh, that there's, there's some other plane that, uh, that, that you exist on that I'm very jealous of. So I appreciate you, you highlighting that. And, uh, and I know that it's, it's real. I, I can, I can feel it and see it and, and you live it. So thanks for that. Uh, Heather, for you, what's the work? You're doing a lot of work. You are a serial entrepreneur. You are doing a lot of work right now to, to bring commerce and entrepreneurship into, uh, into indigenous communities. Talk about that for a moment. Yeah, awesome. And thank you for that. Listen, I wish that I could say I was a superstar chef like everybody in here, but I didn't get any chef skills. So I am going to leave the amazing curation of food and menus and all the greatness that you all bring. And I have really decided to focus all of my attention um, on sustainable food packaging and, um, you know, making sure that we have people that are um, taking care of our soil, you know, when they're when they're growing um, the fibers that we need in order to create these compostable food packages that don't have PFAs and chemicals. And I know we had a really amazing um discussion, uh, Chef Jensen and, and everybody on the call last week about um, food packaging and what that meant. So I, I definitely went through it on there. But what I really want to highlight about what is so important and, and why I've decided to tie this entire project, you know, directly to the indigenous tribes and, and build the communities is because it was just that like, as as indigenous peoples, um, you know, agriculture has been who we are. I mean, we're of the earth. And so um, I wanted to focus on making something that focused on um, the earth and planet. And so I have really chosen to um, empower entrepreneurship in agriculture, right, in, in our indigenous communities. I mean, it was so wild for me to see people buying food that could have been grown on our land um, and us having such a struggle with growing our own food to take care of ourselves, but we're buying food from outside 
of, of our indigenous um, peoples. And so I want to inspire entrepreneurism. I want to inspire people to go out and focus on agriculture and then create and bring economy around that. And we have so much um, in our communities that we can really build on. And I just, I, I want to help be one of those voices to inspire other indigenous people to go out and be um, entrepreneurs. I mean, I, I, it's such a big word, but I can tell you being able to, to be an independent mom and take care of my children and seeing all the women on our tribe that are struggling right now to take care of our children. When we had so many answers, I dedicated all my time and efforts to making sure that I build out, um, these pulping facilities and the agricultural community, um, around our indigenous, um, families. And you're right. I mean, we were talking, I, I had heard you mentioned earlier about ancestors and, um, that's why I'm staying there because I am drawn by my ancestors in the most gravitating of ways to not do anything for, for my company right now going out of the gate besides. Hey, hey, Heather, can I interject real quick? Getting our communities out of this major um, rut. And I, and I can't say everybody. So when I say our communities, I don't want to say every single tribe is the same because we also operate very differently. Um, and I just want to, I want to give one shout out really quick. So Chef Nephi, I just want to let you know, I was at White Mountain Apache last week. Last week I was at White Mountain Apache. And the next time I come to Sholo, I absolutely want to meet you. So, um, and, and, and that is one place right there, Chef Nephi, that I'm hoping to spend more time at. So I just had to throw that out there. So I'm all about supporting entrepreneurism. I'm all about getting indigenous people out there to build businesses and support our communities and make sure that we all have the same access to technology and, 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 and um, financial resources and, and mental resources, mental health resources to really build our community up because we, we we are strength and power in everything that we do and I can't wait to see the communities rise above um, for for all the hardships that we've we've all entailed over the last um, two years so anyways I don't want to keep speaking so this is Heather Jane and I'm done and and thank you again everybody for this this has been a, a beautiful conversation I love hearing everyone's um, opinion so this is Heather and I'm done thank you thanks Heather Blue please jump in I just wanted to say uh, Heather Jane if you want to connect on the back end, I ha I came into contact with an individual in India who has a sugar beet farm that he processes into raw materials for compostable products. And they're looking for some place to do this in the United States. We've been trying to find, like, if we could grow sugar beets on the Navajo Nation, <laughs> I'd be all about it, but it's not feasible. So I'd love to connect with you and kind of brainstorm where we could put this in an indigenous community because part of our problem is fighting all the use of styrofoam and plastics. So I'd love to have that conversation. Yes, 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 please. And I just want to throw this out there to anybody who's on here who, um, you know, uh, is a Native American. We have grants and resources and things available to, available to us um, as a society that we can use right now to be able to get these farmers, like, really kicking butt and making money and, and bringing back to our, to, to our communities. I mean, the money is available right now. So um, if anybody needs help with being pointed in the right direction and you want to be an entrepreneur, entrepreneur in, in this world, um, I will be more than happy to send you over the resources of people that I deal with because we really do need to support each other. So thank you, Chef Blue. I can't wait. And I've been checking out your Instagram and you're a superstar. So uh, thank you again for that. And, and I look forward to connecting with you. Heather, you are just 
something else. I love it every time we get to interact. And this is what this is about. I'm truly inspired by the stories. I'm devastated by the stories that I hear because I know that the impact that they've had uh, and then the oppression that's been felt. However, in these moments now, knowing that Blue and Heather are going to do some some real shit to change their worlds and the worlds of their communities, like that matters. It matters so much. I cannot understate the fact that all of us spending some time on Clubhouse can truly have a massive, massive impact on the present and future. So I just, I just love to see when, when it works, when relationships are formed through whatever means we're able to connect. So Heather Blue, I cannot wait. And please, Heather, again, share these, uh, these links with me. We will drop all of them. I would love if there were a dozen links to different resources, information uh, for listeners to be able to connect with. So thank you for that. All right, Nephi, I want to come to you uh, to talk about the work that you're kind of doing today. What, uh, what do we need to know? What, uh, how are you trying to, to, to move the needle? Yeah, okay. Thanks for that. And thanks for the shout outs, everybody. I appreciate it. Um, I'm coming to you from the White Mount Apache, Northeastern Arizona, and in the American Southwest. I'm also half Navajo on my dad's side. Um, and, and the work that I'm doing now is kind of a reflection of some of those historical points that I mentioned. Um, that entryway into understanding colonization is important, but we can't stay stuck there. You can totally get stuck on repeat like a broken record talking about historical trauma and colonial violence if you're not careful. Uh, one, of the, one of the most powerful things we can do is develop and begin to be action-oriented and find solutions uh, within the fabric of our culture, language, kinship systems, and uh, <clears throat> landscapes are, are woven the um, a majority, if not all, of the tools we need to recover from a lot of these uh, issues that we deal with. And, and kind of being a reflection on the, of this long journey of my cooking path, I started out wanting to uh, really, really kind of gravitating towards classical French cuisine. I worked at a couple of great places when I was really young and I was really lucky, but I did not know how um, fortunate I was then. It's been this journey to kind of understand and learn to embody some of those themes of resurgence and um, uh, decolonization. I think what I try to do now is um, because decolonization, like historical trauma or some of those historical things, it can become a uh, it can be kind of like a pop popularity contest or it can be like who's the most decolonized or who's the most indigenous. And I never want to be stuck there because there's always uh, living it out because anyone can hashtag decolonize or anyone can hashtag indigeneity, but very few will walk through the threshold and begin to live it out. And I feel like that's where humility really begins to be cultivated and take place. I feel like thousands and thousands and thousands of our community members have made that decision, whether they use that academic term or not. They um, walk into a new paradigm with a certain mindset of health and reclamation in mind. So um, concerning all of these health disparities from suicidality to diabetes to incarceration, um, addiction, public health, a number of the um, many, many of these are all traced back to the colonial colonialism monster. And the field is wide open in native foods because I, I like to say native foods is like the nucleus for an atom. And all these, these neurons swirling around it, you can just reach out and grab what discipline you want to be in. 
And since I've been working, um, traveling and working and being in a classical realm and structured kitchens and, you know, cooking in jail and rehabs and all kinds of crazy stuff in my life, I kind of got to the point in my life where I am finally comfortable with my journey. Um, some of the elements of being in recovery myself, like 10 years of sobriety and um, not really fitting in anywhere in the realm that I aspire to be in amongst chefs. Um, I'm finally um, like ready and willing to kind of pick my uh, pick my fight. And I decided to go to one of our most prominent, but also um, one of our most uh, stigmatized uh, health disparities, and that's addiction, incarceration, uh, because I'm a person in recovery. And it, I like to say most of the things I've chosen to do in my life have been a reflection of what I've been doing the longest. So my work right now is like informed by skateboarding and the powerful culture that it is, the creative force that pushes us to skate. Um, you know, the fire from punk rock music and hip hop music, like golden era hip hop music, you know what I mean? And the creative passion of cooking and interweaving that now to our cafe in White River called Cafe Gaujon, which is a part cafe open to the public, but it's also a vocational training site that where we focus on indigenous foodways, but we really uh, highlight the, the, the group dynamics of what it means to be a part of a team for a person that's just clinging to life, like trying to, a favorite, um, a favorite um, slogan of mine is a drowning man will grab a sword. And many of the people that we are working with that are in recovery are at that point or have been at that point. And it's right at that moment in time, in time. Where, where, where people uh, are looking for connection and relationship building. And foodways and landscape really provide that, uh, uh, fill those gaps in a humble way that's person to person and that's very intimate. So that's kind of what we do now. And I really don't know where I fit into the realm of chefs anymore because of the, the uh, of how mental health and the culture of debauchery is celebrated or was celebrated. I feel like um, as native peoples, we're always on the pulse of larger conversations in America and the, the cafe project, we were on the cusp of launching this in 2017 before the pandemic hit, just before a lot of chefs were talking about toxic work environment and kitchens and work-life balance and all of that. And so we kind of went, uh, got, shuttered by the pandemic but we just reopened to our community this like two weeks ago and um it's we're just at the beginning of a journey and i hope it's going to be one that is um you know we won't be doing like michelin star food but you know the principles of mission michelin star organization like mise en place what does that mean at the spiritual level it definitely holds some weight and teaching that to people in recovery People like myself, you know, it, it's it's life saving, and to me, that's cool as hell, and I love it. So that's kind of where I'm at now. Thanks, Nephi. You're a poet. Do you write? I feel like you write because uh, it's like I just went to like a poetry slam from you. I uh, really appreciate that. It actually reminds me, uh, Andrea set up uh, through the eighty six eighty six eighty six challenge something that Best Served does, uh, some sponsorship from the. Navajo Technical University in New Mexico. And actually, if you look at the top, a new feature here on Clubhouse, uh, you can link up and pin a link. And uh, actually pinned up an article that dropped yesterday from Clint Carroll, 
uh, an amazing voice in, in the indigenous community, Cherokee community, uh, who is a, a professor at the University of Colorado and a really, really great read. Uh, Andrea's got an article coming out, but Blue, hello, Nephi, Heather, would love to have uh, any of you uh, write an article as well. And uh, we, uh, would, we publish it and we figure out a model to, to reimagine media where we're actually paying $86 for 250 to 500 words to pay for the physical and emotional labor that it takes to put your story out there. And uh, it's hugely important because if we're going to tell more meaningful stories, we need to start to value the people who can bring those stories to the forefront. And unfortunately, even in traditional food media, a professional writer might get paid $50, $75 to punch out another you know, listicle that doesn't say much of anything about where food is being evolved. And so uh, anyway, Nephi, that, that really uh, struck me. You definitely have a, a poet's uh, heart and delivery for sure. Uh, all right, we are at an hour, and uh, I want to kind of uh, uh, gear us towards uh, wrapping this room. So there's two things, uh, maybe three things that I, I want to accomplish. I want to hear a, a few dishes. I, I want to selfishly be educated a little bit on perhaps some of the dishes that uh, I need to make sure and understand to get some context uh, to go out and seek out and be able to taste and, and understand that culinary journey a little bit. So I'd be interested in hearing that. I also want to give each of the speakers at the very end opportunity to tell us exactly where the number one place that we can connect with you is. Where does our attention need to be on the work that you're doing? Is it Instagram? Is it Twitter? Is it your blog? Is it uh, uh, anywhere? <laughs> anywhere you want to connect. And then, Christine, I do want to give you an opportunity to share a couple things that uh, James Beard specifically is doing in this realm, any resources, any programs available. So, yeah, I want to go around the table and, and tell us just, just kind of quickly, because, again, I want to wrap this room uh, within the next 10, 12 minutes or so, be respectful of everyone's time. What's one dish that we need to know about? What's, uh, what's the one thing that uh, that's when you get to eat with friends, family, when you get to cook that really uh, inspires? Uh, maybe Blue, let's start with you. Uh, sure. My right now, my favorite dish to cook is pasole, but it's a southwestern version. Um, all along the southwest, a lot of the indigenous nations um, uh, have corn dishes, corn soup or corn stew. Sometimes it's hominy, sometimes it's dried corn. It just comes in different variations. Um, and I had a pozole, which is actually spelled with an E at the end. And the conversation would always come up. Um, this isn't native, or this isn't Navajo, or this is Mexican. And I have to remind people of our relationship and close proximity with Mexico and how these dishes have developed over the years. And that this is actually uh, stems from a Pueblo dish. Um, very, very flavorful. It's my own recipe that I've developed over the years. It's one of my favorites. It became very popular at my restaurant in Provo. And I, my, it's every, like at least once a week, my kid wants me to make pozole with uh, nanascari, which is a Navajo style tortilla, <laughs> which is another influence, um, probably just, you know, sharing food ideas, sharing food ways and uh, through our trade, trade routes. So very proud of that dish and my kids and my customers love it so <laughs> thanks 
So great to hear. And you mentioned something that I think it's important to recognize when we talked about the impact on American food culture. There's a couple of places that my head always goes. One is, is the treatment of corn. So nixtamalizing corn, which we know is for making masa and then amazing tortillas that are now co-opted into, you know, Frankensteinian street tacos. But at their core, that process was learned from indigenous communities in Mexico being able to make hominy treating corn with lye to then, you know, grits, classically Southern American cuisine as well. Those, those things came from indigenous communities. I also, uh, I think of barbecue. I mean, barbecue is one of the most iconically American things that absolutely smoking over open fire was absolutely learned from indigenous communities. So thank you for pointing that out. Uh, amazing that pozole is something that the kid always wants. Love hearing that. Uh, Halal, for you, what's uh, what's one dish we got to know about? Um, yeah. Uh, Halal, so I'm so sorry. You're, the robots are not behaving. Uh, we can't really, uh, can't really hear you. Um, it's blue corn mush. Uh, it is throughout, um, can you hear me now? Yep. That's better. Let's see if we can, can let's see if we can get you, get you in here. Go ahead. Okay. The, um, blue corn mush, um, there's variations of it all throughout, um, indigenous culture, um, and um, it's in Pawnee culture, it is the first food and the last food uh, that you are that you are served. Um, you eat it you know all throughout your life, but it's definitely the first foods. It's one it's the first food and the last food that you are served um, just because of the uh, um, how nutrition nutritious it is and um, it's just really delicious. You can add um, any kind of sweetener to it. Um, and it's kind of like grits, but better. Um, and uh, it's, it's just very delicious. Um, and if you can't get like blue corn from a tribe, then you can buy it from... Um, I think, um, I think you can get it at the store. Um, but yeah, it's it's just really delicious. Anything that's like grits but better, you you got me one hundred percent. I think that I think that sounds great. We might have to work on the name of that. You know, blue mush that it, it creates another barrier. But I think <laughs> anytime you're able to have something that's just like grain water, salt, fat, dairy. Uh, I mean, that's just the simplicity of being able to let something shine. I think well, that's there's, amazing. There's no, in, at least in Pawnee, there's no dairy. It's just water, corn, and um, sweetener. See, that's Nephi and I with that, that French training. We're always trying to put dairy and fat and everything and, and <laughs> apologize for that. Uh, I'm completely, yeah, but you know, every, every, every tribe is different. So, sure. you know, 
Yeah, love it. Blue mush. It's it's on the list. I need to make sure that uh, yeah. I just need to come out and have you prepare it. I think that's the way to go. Uh, Nephi, for you, what's uh, what's that? What's that one dish? Oh uh, man, for me, it's um, something we call an Apache Bundatunde. It basically it just means uh, we call it, uh, uh, racket bread because it's cooked on a it's cooked on this uh, contraption. It's made of wires. Uh, looks like a tennis racket. Some people call it tennis bread, outside bread, racket bread, ash bread, but man, it's so versatile. Um, some people will come on the res and say, that looks like none, but hell no, it's not, doesn't, <laughs> it's nothing like it. It's, uh, it's really versatile, very smoky, cooked over coals, and probably like one of the main reasons um, I built in a, uh, a cooking fireplace in our little cafe there so we could do racket bread because it's great in stews, sandwiches, you can dip it. It's awesome when you slather bone marrow across it, a little bit of salt. Uh, you see it at ceremonies, celebrations. It's a real indicator of humility and um, uh, gratitude and um, 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 uh, versatility or skills, basically, of our, our moms and aunties and grandmas. So pretty cool. Western Apache racket bread. That makes all the sense in the world because that sounds like such a, a foundational thing for a chef and also speaks to the need that you had to always bring humility and humor to to what you cook so racket bread makes all the sense in the world thank you <laughs> thank you for that love absolute love heather for you i know you're not cooking this but what what gets you all the feels when when you're eating uh that we need to know about listen so i wish i had this like amazing story about great food from my people but honestly i don't know what like my grandmother and her and my great grandmother, they, I didn't get a lot of recipes. You know, there's a one thing I didn't get like passed down to me. But I will tell you that when I go now um, to Prairie Bam Potawatomi, um, I definitely go to my great great aunts, and she has got a woman who's with her who makes fantastic. She says the original style of corn and salmon um, that they would make. It was, it almost looked like a mashed potato. Um, it, it might not even have been corn to be honest with you. Okay. So I'm not on here. I just want to let you know to be the food expert, but I would definitely go for the fresh fish um, that they would cook me um, on the res. So that was my, my fondest memory, but I'll leave all the amazing chef stuff to all these superstars up here. So this is Heather and I'm done. Well, now you know you you got to travel. You got the RV. You got to get around to all these chefs. And, I am, and, and they will I cook am. for you, no doubt. Yes, Nephi. Next time, I'm going to be there in two weeks, Nephi, and I'm going to be looking you up, okay? Because there's no way I'm going to miss coming out to see you next time. So, and Blue, I'm coming your way too. So, um, thank you again. You can't miss us in Wyver. We're like one of the only gas station blue buildings. We're no longer a gas station, but we're on the north side of town. <laughs> I will be there. Yes, and now Heather, you have uh, you have some homework to do as you travel and meet up with these chefs. Make sure uh, let's get some Instagram stories going and tag us. These are the kind of stories you want to amplify. Getting uh, great leaders and voices in these communities together uh, can't really can't do anything better in the goals that we have with uh, with best served. Andrea, for you, what uh, what are you cooking? Oh man. Uh, this time of year, I, uh, I really like doing a coconut braised rabbit dish that I came up with. Um, my brain, I don't know, it must've been, uh, in a, in a traveling mood because it, uh, decided to take a, a tour of the deep, different ecosystems in South America. Um, I, uh, 
I really wanted the the fat and the richness um, and that little bit of sweetness from the coconut milk, like that full fat coconut milk. I started, you know, searing and braising a whole rabbit, and we, we do have our own version of of uh, rabbits down in uh, down in South America. <clears throat> and um, I really love the earthiness of annatto seed. Uh, I always have either paste or the whole seed in my house, and um, I just, I threw together this, you know, earthy, but slightly sweet and uh, really beautiful uh, braised uh, rabbit dish. And uh, I, I know I have a winner when I, I stand over the pot and I'm tasting the sauce and instead of just tasting it and making sure that I have my flavors right, I'm just standing there eating the the sauce out of the pot. I'm like five minutes later, I'm like, hey, I should probably go ahead and just, you know, shred this and put this into a bowl now. <laughs> but, um, yeah, this time of year when it gets chilly, I, I love that braised rabbit. Um, and then as an Andina, I, I always love a, a bowl of, um, you know, uh, roasted uh, fingerling potatoes, usually purples, because uh, that's just how I roll. And I'll put the, the braised rabbit on top of that. And I just, I just go to town and the dogs just look at me longingly because they smell rabbit and they like rabbit too. <laughs> Thanks for that. I always appreciate how you're, you're kind of taking your indigenous roots of, of South America and then bringing that into the context of growing up small town in Ohio and then being now in Colorado. I very much see uh, both the thoughtful journey and the, and the internal grappling of how to bring those things together thoughtfully. It's always something that I appreciate about what you're doing. So thank you. Uh, I'm, I'm starving now. Uh, I'm glad it's almost dinner time for me because uh, you all are definitely uh, bringing some, some really unique perspectives to the food that you're bringing, yet you're just channeling something, again, from, from the ancestors. And, uh, and I think that it's just such a, such a beautiful uh, homage in the way that, uh, that you're cooking. So I'm, uh, again, I'm jealous of that connection. It's something that we long for as chefs is to have that deeper meaning that it can't just be, uh, about that technique. It can't just even be about that ingredient. There has to be more. And we're always seeking that, that story and that journey. So thank you for that. Uh, Christine, want to have you, uh, let us know about a couple of the programs, uh, blue kind of, uh, uh mentioned and alluded to, uh, specifically, and then we'll go very quick around and everybody please give us where's the best place to connect with you. Cause I know anybody listening to this here in the room clubhouse now or on the recording is going to want to make sure that they, uh, follow the journey, connect and, uh, and try and get uh, some of the food, some of the products that you all are, are curating. So, uh, Christine, please. Yes. Um, I'll try to talk fast because I know we're probably all very hungry after talking about all this delicious food. Um, but first, thank you so much, Blue, for um, just singing the foundation's praises and also being such a supportive and integral part to um, all of our programming. Um, it's really such an honor to have you on board and um, work together with the foundation. Um, and you know, as I mentioned earlier, the foundation is really committed to uplifting and supporting um, diverse voices and communities um, throughout our work and our programming. And that includes our Open for Good campaign. Um, this campaign was started um, in March 2020. 
Um, and I'm really excited to share a couple of great resources for um, Indigenous American communities uh, working within the industry and how you can also support these programs. So first is our investment fund for Black and Indigenous Americans, um, which Blue mentioned earlier, and she's actually um, on the leadership committee for. So again, thank you so much, Blue, for your commitment and um, your work with us. Um, and through this fund, we've been able to provide over 60 grants, um, probably even more, to Black and Indigenous-owned independent restaurants. Um, and although we um, unfortunately are on pause right now in terms of dispersing grants due to the end of the federal emergency declaration, um, we are even more motivated to evolve the investment fund into another incredible resource um, to continue to support these critical businesses. Um, so we will definitely keep you updated on the future of the investment fund. But the next resource I'd really love to highlight is our legacy network, which trains emerging BIPOC leaders across the culinary industry um, and connects them with future generations of excellence. Um, each person under the guidance of legacy advisors um, becomes a part of a rich network that centers the professional growth of previously underserved communities. So if you're interested in learning more about um, these programs or about our Open for Good campaign overall, um, I recommend visiting jamesbeard.org or following us at, um, the, at Beard Foundation on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok um, to get the most up-to-date news on all of our programs. And Excellent. thanks, Jensen. Yeah, thank you, Christine. Been so, so great to work with you and Debbie and Lauren, Morgan, uh, the whole team over there at the foundation. Uh, and you're really putting serious effort into uh, evolving and continuously serving more and more communities. I think we've, we've talked about that, you know, uh, when we did an Anthony Bourdain room a while ago, he was very critical uh, of the foundation. And there's a lot of, you know, the fine dining old white guy chef club like and the work that's happening now is is at the forefront and so i really appreciate and know how hard you all are working and that those criticisms didn't fall on deaf ears and you're able to now showcase the complexity of the work uh, and the struggles that it takes of this work so i really appreciate uh, how candid and uh, how open and uh, evolving you all are so thank you so much for that and please for you and then again everybody please go ahead and uh, share links with us we want to be as as resource rich as possible in uh, in the show notes for this recording so all right we're going to go real quick rapid fire and again appreciate everybody's time before we end this room uh number one place to connect with you heather um, yeah, so I, I would say first and foremost, just check me out on Instagram. Um, I'm with Heather Jane. That's probably the easiest way. Or on Twitter, um, Heather for Hemp. So those are the easiest ways. And then you can connect with me through there or um, on the website, nativepackpak.com. So thank you so much. Yes, Andrea, for you. Uh, Instagram is uh, probably the best place for most up-to-date, most current um, most information on the things that I'm doing. Uh, my website is a good resource as well. The current menu is uh, 
I'm usually good about having the current menu up on my website, um, but in all honesty, I do a lot more um, customized menus for clients than I do anything else um, on that platform. But um, yeah, Instagram is is the place to go to to see what I'm up to. Thank you, Nephi, for you. Best place to connect. Uh, best place to connect is White River, Arizona, White Mountain Apache Tribe. No, I'm just kidding. You can catch me on um, Instagram, uh, Nephi underscore Craig, uh, both my my personal and the Cafe Gojo um, uh, Instagram as well. Facebook a little bit, but not so much. Um, Instagram's where I'm at. Thank you. I, I would have been with you. Uh, you can't connect with me virtually. You got to come down to uh, check out what we're doing in Arizona. Respect. Appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, right. <laughs> Hillel, for you, best place to connect. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, uh, the, my website, www.brochbasketcatering.com. Um, and then all of my socials on there. And- Instagram, um, Facebook, Twitter, um, it's all Birch Basket. Gotcha, Birch Basket. Blue, for you, best place to connect. Uh, You can always find me on TikTok. Just kidding. Uh, Instagram is probably the best place to connect with me. Uh, If you want to see any of the work I'm involved in, protectnativeelders.org. Uh, Native Women Entrepreneurs of Arizona or IndigeHub, I-N-D-I-G-E, hub.com. But if you want to connect with me personally, please reach out to Instagram. And I'm a little nuts, so don't let let my profile and crazy stories fool you. Also check out uh, Chef Nephi's Lutang Wednesdays on Instagram. Nice shout out, Blue. And well, I was really excited to check you out on TikTok. Now I'm gonna like keep bugging you to get on there and and start showing us uh, some of the work that you're doing. Appreciate that. And uh, yeah, Mimi, uh, Mimi Lan, and uh, thank you for uh, for holding this space and, and allowing uh, so many of these other voices to come in. Uh, Mimi, you're definitely somebody who's uh, leading the way on Clubhouse. So appreciate you being here uh, and just allowing this space because usually. Uh, you've got really great things to add to the conversation, but thank you for, uh, for allowing these voices to kind of shine here. Best place to connect with you. Oh, wow. Um, really, I just want to give the platform for these wonderful um, panelists uh, to connect with them. So um, I, you don't have to connect with me. <laughs> uh, and I'm, I'm, you know, happy. I, I can't wait to connect with all of these wonderful folks here today. Thank you. All right, I tell you, go check out Taste Curator, the Taste Curator on Instagram. That's where you can find Mimi, who's also doing a lot of work to bring uh, her Vietnamese culture to the forefront in kind of new and unique ways as well. So I want to go ahead and end this room here as we begin it with a quote from Ashinabe, uh, author and activist Winona LaDuke, who once again says, Food comes from our relatives, whether we have wings or fins or roots. That is how we consider food. Food has a culture. It has a history. It has a story. It has relationships. And we all are better now in the relationships that we have uh, just from being here today, uh, for spending an hour, hour and 15 minutes together. Uh, This is the spaces 
where, uh, where real change can happen uh, because we know that we're not alone. We know that we're like-minded and aligned and so honored to have, uh, have shared this space and this time with each of you. And on, on that note, we'll go ahead and uh, end the room. Thank you so much, everyone. Have a great rest of your evening. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Best Served Podcast. Subscribe to our show and connect with us on social media at Best Served Podcast. Tune in next week to discover more unsung hospitality heroes.